we gotta we gotta fly through this. There is a lot to cover in a short amount of time. As we go through this particular passage, you know, for myself, when I gave my life to Jesus uh, at the age of 18 and being able to just have a hunger, a desire, and a yearn for just Scripture, the Word of the Lord, and being able to continually grow in my relationship with Christ, I always tell people the most fascinating thing about faith and just the proclamation of the gospel and understanding God's love for myself is that as I continue to grow, grow and go, I find myself in just this vast like wonder and awe of like who God is. And I will tell you, I am not uh, ashamed to admit that during this, during this week, just leading up to it, just preparing for this particular passage, there were several times where I wept um, just reading this. And I have never wept in this particular passage. I have wept reading the word of God, but I've read Colossians multiple times, but I have found myself in just this uh, natural revelation where I just felt like there was something distinct that the word of the Lord, that, that the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And so uh, this morning, I hope that I'm able to transcend and really articulate the same thing that the Lord was inspiring me and just really sharing with me. But going over Colossians, because it's been a week gap since we uh, have gone through Colossians, if you guys didn't get a chance to hear Devante's sermon last week, he spoke on joy, and it was really beautiful. He covered um, James, the first part of James, and I'd just tell you guys to take a listen to it. It's on podcast, and um, you guys can go check that out and listen to it. And he did a really good job. For a person that said that they would never get up to preach, he did, a, he did an absolute beautiful job. Uh, in Colossians, there's three things that we uh, went over a couple weeks ago that really has this overall arching theme in regards to Colossians. The first one is crucial. The gospel of Jesus is crucial in the belonging hearts and minds of Jesus' followers. The second one is covering the supremacy of God being the head, the top, and above all things. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, particularly in today, as we go through 15 and 23, and then collision. Your heart is bound to collide with good or bad. It's your decision to make. We can, we can iterate here as just normal human beings that in, in society today, there is, there is real good, there is real evil. There's a supernatural good, there's a supernatural evil. And every single day that we wake up, when we take our breath, and when we're able to open our eyes, we make the decision whether we are going to collide with what the Lord has presented in each and every one of us. Because if we're not colliding with the Lord, we're colliding with the world, right? And so we make the decision, and, and this is what Colossians is helping us, it's teaching us, it's shaping us. And so in these three things, I just want to just put it as a reminder, and then to go into the central theme. This is what the central theme of Colossians is. The central theme is Christ is Lord over all creation, including the invisible realm, okay? Look, when we're talking about the invisible realm, it's not spooky, Right? It's not the, oh, like it should be frightening or it should be scary. The invisible realm is just the things that you can simply not see. He has secured redemption for his people, enabling them to participate within his death, resurrection, and fullness. We're going to key in on that word fullness today because that's part of the passage. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we just, we just take this time. Lord, to open our hearts, God, to just be transformed by the word. Lord, it's so beautiful that we're able to just meet um, in just this coffee shop and to just proclaim the gospel in this place today. 
I ask, Lord, that you would speak so intimately, Lord, with such profoundness, God, and wisdom that is just set before by the Holy Spirit. Lord, grace us with your presence. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The passage that we are reading is placed upon as one of the most Christological passages in all of Scripture. Of course, if you guys know the Bible as a whole, it's an entire narrative that is a redemption story of Jesus reconciling his people back to the Father. But the Christological definition, if you don't know, is just simply as this, the branch of Christian theology relating to the person, nature, and role of Christ. In this, the overarching theme, in the context of the passage that we're in, 15 to 23, there's a couple parallels to discuss, and you guys can write these down if you guys are taking notes. If you guys are not, that's fine. You guys can ask me for my sermon notes. There's nothing to hide. I'll send them to you. That way you guys can dissect and to see. Okay? The first parallel to discuss is the parallel from creation to new creation. And then the second one is the one who created you is also the one who will redeem you. Those two things are up on the screen. How many of us are fans of poems? Anybody in this place? A couple people? One, pe- one person? A couple? I'm not the biggest like poetry guy. I'll read them. Uh, we have somebody in our ministry that is particularly fond of poetry. She writes poetry. Um, she posts it on her Instagram. Um, and I'm able to read through those things and... I, 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 I thoroughly enjoy them. Am I inspired by them? Not, not really, right? There's not a lot of things that I read and I'm just like, oh, dang, I want to also do that upon myself. But I, as I read this, it's so beautiful. And maybe there's just this, I don't know, this, this sensitivity or this heightened awareness of what the Lord is articulating. But verses 15 to 18 is a body of text that formulates a poem thus articulated so beautifully about the surpassing truth of who Jesus was and is. Let me read the snippet from N.T. Wright. The poem speaks of Jesus in exalted terms. He is not only the Lord of the church, but also the ruler of the universe. He is not just the savior of humanity, but also the one who reconciles all things in heaven and on earth. The person of Christ is described as one who is the image of, of the invisible God in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The work of Christ exalts his traditional role as God's agent of redemption, but he is expanded to include serving also as God's agent of creation. All things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, were created through him and for him. The incarnation and crucifixion of Jesus were self-revealing, self-fulfilling actions with the one creator God was pleased to undertake. The poem leaves the church and the world, not just with a picture of the exalted Christ, but with a vision of the gracious and loving creator, redeemer God. As we get into uh, verse 15, I want to ask a simple question. You guys don't have to ask. It's more um, rhetorical than anything. But how many of us here, when we meet people, we're the type of people or the weirdos that really remembers people's names, right? Because the, the, the phenomenal thing about humans is the distinction that we are more face people than we are name people, right? I don't, again, look, you, you guys can identify yourselves as weird like myself. We are names people. Just recently, um, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, uh, 
my, my good friends, Sam and Jesse, they celebrated 10 years. Um, and they had they threw this get-together because they never got a chance to share their own personal vows. And so it was this 10-year uh, just re, uh, renewal, renewing of vows. And I, I met a lot of people there. But I'm the type of weird person, and I kid you not, I'm not exaggerating. I just showed it to you on my phone. Every single person I met, I wrote their name down. And then I also put in parentheses type of description so that during my conversation, um, I would not lose I would not lose sight of their, their face, and I would be able to attach their name to their face. How many people do that, right? Not a lot. But the phenomenon, uh, the phenomenal thing about humans is we are more face people. We will generally identify people uh, by their face, by, oh, yeah, I, uh, I, I can't tell you their name, but I can tell you, like, I, if, I can tell you what they look like, or if I see them, I'll remember them. Colossians 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. An introduction statement into this, talking about you want to know God? Jesus is the image of who God is. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This is a passage that you could read over and over again, but you could still find yourself very diluted in a place where you're looking for absolute solidarity in regards to this particular passage because there's just so much to impact so much so so much to impact that even 30 40 minutes of just preaching alone in this topic is not does doesn't give it justification you can read this over and over again but you'll find yourself as you read it over and over again and i found myself as i read it over and over and over again that every single time i read this that the lord was speaking to me Something different. But as I was reading through it, this is the point that I want to transition us into. That God sustains, God surpasses, and God saves. Some key words that you got to write down in this just context of scripture is by him, through him, and for him. And by him, we mean Jesus. A few things that Paul is writing to assert and assure the church, there's three things, creation, power, headship, and lordship. Creation, talking about the wonder and awe of who Jesus was in comparison to God, who was and is Lord of all creation. And the reason why Paul is writing about this, oh man, Peter's going to love this because he he loves church history, um, is because there was a person named uh, Arius, if you guys know, a little bit about church history, um, Arianism, and his simple case, just to, just to simplify things, was that Jesus was not equal to God, but more of a subordinate, and that Jesus was less than God. But for us as professing Christians, as believers, the Trinity is what? Three in one. That God and Jesus are equal, but Arianism would say that um, that Jesus was less than God. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on that because we don't, we don't look at other 
theological implications or doctrines, but Arius would then get excommunicated by the church. And there was a necessity of the Nicene Creed to be formed, formed um, through a council of people that would begin to reiterate the Trinity and making sure that the uh, action to take in regards to talking about Jesus was that he was equal as the Father. And so when he begins to talk about it, he's saying, hey man, like, look, God was present, but so also was Jesus. And he is by him. He is, he, all things are through him and for him. And in light of creation, Jesus was present as well. And all things were formed him or formed through him and by him. And then he goes on and he talks about power in this particular passage because the, the verse or the words that he begins to throw out there was thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. Because power for them to the church of Colossae was a very big deal. Who holds the most power, especially in the Greco-Roman Empire? And, and them talking about power, Paul is addressing to the church and he's saying, hey, it doesn't matter about how, who's, who's in actual government or authority because Jesus is God. And he has established dominion over all those things. He surpasses. And then headship slash lordship. God to whom? Because as we talked about, uh, the church of Col- Colossae was big on polytheism. That they would go to the Greek gods and they would, uh, they would attest to a specific god to fulfill specific needs. Now look, we may not go to specific Greek gods right now, but we ourselves as people are drawn to other gods. They're just gods in different forms. And this is why talking about the idols are so are talking about idols in our lives are so necessary because we at times fixate our eyes upon other things when we should be fixing it upon Jesus. And so it doesn't matter about the dominion of rulers or authorities or anything visible or invisible. When talking about just Jesus, we are declaring that He is Lord over all things. And if anything, if you were to take away anything from today, it's that you would be able to fix your eyes upon Jesus and to know that he is God over your life. And it's not just even God over the good things. It's God and the bad things as well. When he's talking about the invisible and the visible, it's the hardships that we may face as well. I love the fact that uh, Dave and Bonnie would sing a song, It Is Well, to proclaim that even it, despite the, the, the wind, trials, and storms, that God would remain to be faithful. And that's because He is present in all things. We're not just giving Lord dominion. Or we're not just giving Lord lordship or headship over the, over the capacity of church. We're giving God His reign, His rule over all things. We are saying, God, you are God, you are Lord over all of my life. Not just in the aspect of church, not just in my faith, not just in these particular areas. God, you are Lord over all things. In verse 19, it continues, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood 
of his cross. You know, I have a really hard time comprehending this passage because the more and more that I read this, I think to myself, why would, why would God be so mindful of me? There's nothing that I've done. There's nothing that I can do that would make God so mindful of me in regards to the workmanship or my resume or the achievements in my personal life. There's nothing, even as highly as I think about myself, there is nothing that would draw me closer to God or make me more attractive despite the fact that God was just simply mindful of me in the first place and that he loved me. And that's why I have a hard time comprehending this passage. And you're saying, hey, where's where's the evidence in all these things? Why should I declare that Jesus is Lord in my life? It's because he's not just saying, hey, like I just want to simply be present or I just want to be there. I want to be ruling and reigning and being number one. I want to have the crown on my head. No, what God does is he sends Jesus to be the fulfillment of, of our depravity. He sends Jesus to be the fulfillment and the longing because he says it in the scriptures, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The satisfaction, the atonement that was necessary, but most importantly, the sacrifice that would be put on the cross. God was mindful of those things, and in return, he does it for each and every one of us. Why? Because he wants to reconcile himself, uh, reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. When God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, he didn't just send him to be slaughtered and say, oh, oh hey, look. Look at the blood that was shed. No, there was a sense of purpose that was there. And that leads me to my last point. God wants to redeem you more than you want to redeem yourself. God wants to redeem you more than you want to redeem yourself. In 21 to 23, it says, and you. Man, I, when I read this, I just thought to myself, Look, there are weeks as a preacher that I will um, admittedly admit that there are weeks as a preacher where sometimes I just need to preach the message. But oftentimes, I really want to preach a message that articulates and speaks and bodes well within me. Like, I want the sermon to transform and some of the best Uh, messages that I've spoken in my own, um, just my own comprehension or my own standards has been the ones that have like really spoken to me. Like you could just tell that as I've crafted the sermon that I've been mindful, I've been thoughtful, I've thought through and through about the words that I'm getting ready to share. And when I was reading this passage over and over again, It wasn't, hey, like I'm going to, as I craft the sermon, I'm speaking to this person directly. When I read the word and you, the scriptures screamed back at me and it said, and me. Not the person on your left and on your right, not your, not your kids, not your parents, not your siblings. You insert your name who once were alienated and hostile in mind 
doing evil deeds, he, being Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the, gospel, from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. It's fascinating that we would have someone reconcile us back to the heart of the Father through Jesus, despite our sin and our shame. For myself, the whole alienation, hasa on mine, doing evil deeds. For myself, I read these things and I'm like, yep, that's me. Why? Because I know that I'm a sinner. But it's not just a product of sin. It's not just a product. It's not just a course of redemption. But to understand that there was a sense of purpose, despite my sin, despite my shame, despite my ugliness, that God would send his son Jesus so that I would be presented as holy and blameless. As I am washed white as snow, as you are washed white as snow, you are presented uh, uh, holy and blameless. Almost like a silver platter. And it's so funny because in Christian faith, it's almost like we go to the Lord expecting things to be put on a silver platter. But no, what God does is so funny. It's so trivial because he puts, he presents Jesus as the sacrifice. He puts, he presents Jesus as the lamb to be slain upon the cross. And what he does is he presents each and every one of us in the product of that on a silver platter and says, look at you. Because of the blood that was shed, the body that was torn through my son, Jesus, you are presented as holy and blameless. And this is who Jesus is. Jesus being God, understanding the comprehension that's behind it and the weight that it carries in honoring his name. That Jesus is not just this figure that would come and just serve under God, that he didn't just simply walk this earth for no purpose at all. No, he said Jesus would come to be like the Father and to rule and reign and to have total supremacy in life. And this is who Jesus is. A God that would want to know you. A God that would want to know the goods and the bads. To redeem you, to save you, and to make you holy and blameless so that we would continue to persevere and that we would be able as well to declare the glory of who God is. We'll read this later on, but I want to emphasize this now, and this is how we'll end. In verse four, or sorry, in verse, uh, in chapter three, verse four, it says, when the Messiah is revealed, you too will be revealed with him glory. Um, in the presentation of all these things, I thought that it was so necessary. A lot of churches these days will steer away from certain things, and I, you, we find ourselves crafting along as a smaller body church, um, and it's so beautiful because in the context of small body, it's not just the, as I was talking about faces, it's not the, oh, I'll be this, I'll, I'll only know the distinguishment of a person by their face it's no i actually know their name and where there's nothing to hide there's nothing to covet 
that we are able to address people like, um, just in the likeness of who we are. But in the church plan, it's so funny because I think that if you look back to day one to where we are now, the way that we do things, and especially how we conduct ourselves, there's just things that we are learning and we are processing through. But as we end, I just want to read the Nicene Creed. Very big in, you know, in Catholicism. Um, but I don't want us to be weirded out by that. This is a very, very good, just fundamental, theological just statement. And this is how we'll end. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come.